So back to our final guest tonight, the last guest for our Hay special for his sixth novel, Pure. Andrew Miller won the Costa Prize for Best Novel and the Costa Prize for Book of the Year, which is a Costa with a double shot, basically. Where is he? Where is he? There he is, there he is. Welcome, Andrew, to the stage. Now, Pure, Pure is set in a pre-revolutionary Paris where the past is poisoning the present and threatening the future. The cemetery of Les Innocents, Les Innocents, is bursting with bodies and Jean-Baptiste Barat is a young engineer summoned from Normandy to Versailles and ordered to clear it. You'll love this. Andrew. Thank you. Can I take You can have your turn. <laughs> okay. Uh, good evening. It's, uh, I don't know how Damien managed to fill a room with this kind of... Uh, cool-looking people, which is, which, is, which is great. You know, I do a lot of festivals, and, and uh, am I too close or too far away from it? So it's good here. That's okay? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, the crowd, you get at literary festivals, is a lovely crowd, but it's, it's not quite like this crowd. Um, so uh, so it's, it's a treat, uh, treat for me. And uh, I'm going to read a, a short little piece from, uh, from Pure. Uh, it's near the beginning, as you can see. Um, and this is one of the differences between a book and an e-reader, isn't it? You can actually see where I am in the book. Um, and, uh, and it's a scene, the, the, the book is, concerns a young engineer from the provinces, from Normandy, who um, comes to Paris and is given the job of uh, destroying a, a cemetery that's right in the middle of the city. And uh, it's a place that's been there for longer than anybody can remember, hundreds of years. Um, it's a notorious cemetery, a famous notorious cemetery, but it's, it's, it's full and it's, um, and it's overflowing, in fact, and it's poisoning the city and people will not have it there anymore. And so uh, a minister at Versailles has given Jean-Baptiste uh, Barat uh, the job of destroying the cemetery, an important job, but obviously, a, a terrible job, and um, it's uh, in this scene. He's uh, he's just coming from Versailles, where he's been given his orders, and um, and he's been given the address of his lodgings. He's going to lodge with some people who live right next to the cemetery. Um, although, as he arrives at night, he's not quite sure how close to the cemetery he is. So. Um, Jean-Baptiste, right, and who else do you need to know? You just need to know uh, that the people he's staying with are called the Monards, um, and uh, there's three of them. There's the Ziguette, the daughter, and there's Madame and Monsieur Monard, and there's a, there's a servant, uh, servant girl called Marie. Um, and uh, it's a short piece, and I'll, I'll get on with it. Here we go. He arrives between the soup and the serving of a little stew, also made with the remains of Tuesday's veal. He had not intended to arrive so late, nor in darkness. His luggage, a large ribbed trunk, one rib cracked when it was unloaded from the top of the coach, is carried between himself and an enormous mute boy, some relation of the people he lodged with last night by the coaching officers. We were afraid you'd become lost, calls Monsieur Monard affably from the top of the first flight of stairs. Lost entirely. I was at Versailles, Monsieur, and then the horse was lame. 
But sigh, echoes Monsieur Monard, watching the young man ascend towards him, then ushering him into the half-warmth of the upstairs room. Monsieur Babette has been at Versailles today. Barat, Monsieur, eh? Barat, I'm Barat, my name, Monsieur. He's given a place opposite Ziguette. There is some debate as to whether the stew should go back to the kitchen while the new arrival has his soup. Will the soup be hot enough? Does Monsieur Barat care for soup? And how was Versailles today, asks Monsieur Monard, as if Versailles were a place he frequented. Jean-Baptiste takes a spoonful of the tepid soup and discovers in himself a violent hunger. Had he been alone, he might have drunk it straight from the bowl and immediately found somewhere to fall asleep. Still, he must make some effort to ingratiate himself. These people will constitute his most intimate society, at least for a while. He does not want them to think he is dull or rude, a boorish provincial. Does not want them to think he is any of the things that in moments of weakness he believes himself to be. He looks up from his bowl. What a large red mouth that girl has. Must be the grease from the soup that makes her lips shine so. Versailles, he says, turning to her father, is the strangest place I've ever seen. A very good answer, says Madame Monard with a decisive nod of her head. She tells Marie to pour their guests some wine. And another stick on the fire, Marie. I've never known it this cold in October. He learns that the Monards like to talk, a quite different sort of talking to the more deliberate rhythms he grew up with in Belém. They also like to eat soup, stew, fried dabs, beetroot salad, cheese, a little cake. Everything, as far as he can tell, properly cooked, but everything having at the back of it some odd taint, a flavor he does not think should live in food. After dinner, they sit by the fire. In the cold seasons, the room is both drawing room and dining room and serves well enough, though the presence of a pianoforte means that when crossing the room, one must always make a little detour. Monsieur Monard relieves some tension in his face with a series of grimaces. The female Monards pretend to sew. There's a scratching at the door. A cat is admitted, a cat quite as big as the dog Jean-Baptiste watched piss on the floor outside the minister's office. A black tom with a ragged half-moon missing from one of its ears. It is called Ragout. No one can remember why or agree on who named it. It comes straight towards Jean-Baptiste, sniffs at the soles of his shoes. What have you been up to, you naughty fellow, says Madame Monard, scooping the animal with some effort into her lap. I won't answer for his morals, she says, laughing gaily, then adds, Ragout and Ziguette are inseparable. Jean-Baptiste glances at the girl. It seems to him she looks at the cat with some distaste. Little gentlemen who like cheese, says Monsieur Monard, don't last long in this house. What Ragout don't get, says Madame Monard, my husband traps with his little machines. Machines? asks Jean-Baptiste, for whom the word has always produced a certain thrill. I make them and sell them at the shop, begins Monsieur Monard. A cage, a spring, a little door. He makes a movement with his hand. The creature is imprisoned. Then you need only drop the trap in a pail of water. Marie cuts their throats, says Ziguette. I'm sure she does no such thing, says her mother. To her guest, she says, my husband has an establishment on the Rue des trois Morais. Selling traps, Monsieur, asks Jean-Baptiste. Blades, monsieur, from plain to fancy. We finish and sharpen and polish. We're quite favored by the quality. Père Poupa of Saint-Eustache cuts his meat with one of my knives. When it gets cold, says Ziguette, rats come inside, into the house. It was the same at home, says Jean-Baptiste, on the coldest nights. In Normandy, 
asks Madame Monod, as though amazed to hear rats had discovered so remote a spot. You must miss it, says Siget. Home? For a moment, in his weariness, he sees crows, black rags, lifting off a field at dusk, sees the lonely spire of a country church. I suppose I am content to be where my work takes me. Very manly, says Madame Monard, probing the cat's fur. And what is your work here, asks Zaget. She looks so pretty when she asks this, so pert in her creamy gown. He is tempted to tell her exactly what he has come to do. He wonders what Lafosse has said, what story, if any, he has told them. I am here, he says, aware that all three are suddenly listening to him intently, to make a survey of Les Innocents. Les Innocents? repeats Madame Monard after a pause, during which nothing could be heard except the purring of the cat, the crackle of the fire. I'm an engineer, he says. You were not told. Who would tell us? asks Monsieur Monard. The same has made the arrangement for my lodging here. We were informed of nothing but that a gentleman from Normandy would have need of a room. With meals, adds his wife. Indeed, confirms Monsieur Monard, a morning and an evening meal. Ziguette says, we had a musician stay with us once. A rather particular gentleman, says Monsieur Monard, with red hair, says Madame. Ziguette opens her mouth as though to add something, then, after a beat, a quarter note of hesitation, she closes it again. Yours, says Madame, smiling complacently, is a very practical vocation. One must congratulate you. My teacher, says Jean-Baptiste, at the École des Ponts, was Maître Perrenet. He's the greatest engineer in France. Above the cat's head, Madame Monard applauds with her fingertips. And did you ever build a bridge, asks Saget. One, in Normandy. And what did it cross? The corner of a lake. One does not think of lakes having corners, says Saget. You better tell Marie, monsieur, says Madame Monard, if you prefer coffee in the morning or chocolate. A musician like chocolate, says Saget. Marie will bring it to your room if you wish it, says Madame, and water for your toilette. You only need to name the hour. He has not seen his room yet, says Saget. No, indeed, says her mother. I believe he has not. Then I shall help you up the stairs with your trunk, says Monsieur Monard, rising. It'll be too heavy, even for Marie. The room was at the back of the house, the floor below the attic. The two men, puffing a little, carry the trunk up the four flights of stairs from the hallway. Marie goes ahead of them with a candle. I think you'll have everything you need up here, says Monsieur Monard. Yes, says Jean-Baptiste, looking from the narrow bed to the table and chair, the tripod stand with its glazed tin bowl, the narrow fireplace, the shuttered window above the bed. Zaget has a room across the corridor. Madame Monard and I sleep in the room below. Marie, of course, is in the attic. Your predecessor was in the habit of asking her to remove her sabots when she was above him, an acute sensitivity to noise. You wish me, monsieur, to pay the rent in advance? Very businesslike of you. I admire that in a young fellow. Now then, let us see. Six livres a week, I think. Candles and firewood not included. Jean-Baptiste, turning, turning his back a little on the master of the house, shakes a few coins from the purse onto the table, picks out a half-louis. For two weeks, he says. Monsieur Monard accepts the coin, pinches it and tucks it into the pocket of his waistcoat. You're welcome here, he says, his expression that of a man who has just sold a rack of good knives to a priest. Be sure to tell Marie all your needs. I'll, st I'll stop there, Damien.
One of the things I love about this book is that not everyone turns out as they seem. Zaget seems very sweet. Um, and um, as those of you who read the book will know, she turns out not to be so much sweet as completely psychopathic. Um, and, and I'm very interested in, in why she is as she is, because it's because of the graveyard, isn't it? She's in some sense corrupted. Yeah, that's, that's the suggestion, I suppose, that um, she has. They're this nice bourgeois family, um, who seem like regular folk, and and uh, and yet have uh, this house that uh, is 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 hard on the cemetery, and uh, and this has a kind of um, an influence on them all, uh, particularly on Zaget, who's grown up there, um, which is less than healthy, and um, and they have a kind of. Uh, strange protective attitude towards the cemetery. Well, in, in, in Zaget's case, a, a rather extreme one. Uh, so yeah, she's like, she's yeah. like those women who are attracted to inanimate objects. I mean, she's in love with the graveyard, doesn't she? She's obsessed by it. Well, yes, it's, it's kind of been what she has looked out on uh, all her life. It's where, so she has a kind of strange affinity with its doings, you know, and, 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 with, uh, uh, and with the dead. Yeah. Um, and in, in the book, I mean, we don't, we don't quite get to, we, we touch on it there, but we don't quite get to it. They, death has seeped into them. I mean, they can, they, you know, when he goes back home to visit his family, his family smell, they say, you've got bad breath. We don't want to tell you, but you've got bad breath. Um, and, 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 and he's inhaled the cemetery. And so the people who live around it are kind of, sub, you know, not subconsciously, but kind of, it's osmotic almost in a way, aren't they? They're kind of absorbed the death. That's, that's right. I mean, it, it's, it's, um I knew, I knew that in, in, in the middle of the 18th century, people started to write to complain uh, about the cemetery uh, and, and that they couldn't keep food, that uh, going downstairs in the morning, they'd become faint, uh, candles went out. Um, uh, and there was some suggestion also that it was affecting possibly the morals, particularly the younger people. Um, in, That's in the all area. of That's you, <laughs> attractive young people. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, so... So I took it one one step further and and had it actually, which maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe the, I think you know, 18th century breath was probably always pretty ripe. I'm sure it wasn't uh, fragrant. No. So so so, 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 so yeah, the, the, the cemetery was real and the clearing of the cemetery was real. When did you when did you find out about that incident? How did you come? Years and years ago. Years and years ago. I mean, it's um, Valeria was was sort of hinting at at how. Uh, you know, books get made out of other books, and and to some extent they do. Or, I mean, books get made out of, out of out of out of the lives lived by 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 the writers. But but somehow it's the it's the writers reading that uh, makes particular books makes makes a makes a book uh, or gives the writer the sense of of what is possible. And and uh, so there's a French historian called Philippe Aris, and I sort of stuff I used to read. Uh, more than I do now, um, called The Hour of Our Death, um, which is a kind of study of funerary customs in the Western world. It's a wonderful book. And Cheery. A, yeah, well, <laughs> I love you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, Actually, Philippe Paris, if I've, I've mentioned him in, in every kind of conversation I've had about this book, and I hope someone's gone out and actually got this book. It's he's probably having a resurgence on Kendall right he's now. He's wondering, like, what's happened? You know, he's in retirement. He's an old French professor. He's, 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 he's like, I can pay my gas bill. Thank you, Andrew Miller. Yeah. Well, may it be so. May it be so. And, and, and a bit more. 
But it's, uh, and he, he had a paragraph or two, uh, maybe a, a page on the cemetery of Les Innocents and, and what had happened to it. And I was attracted by uh, the kind of theatricality of the event, this thing right in the center of the city, which is dug up mostly at night with fires burning behind these tall walls. Um, it's right by the Lesal food market. And, um, but also when it happened, that was made it very interesting. It's the 1780s, mm. so it's a few years before uh, the revolution. And to my thinking, these things were connected in some way. So in a sense, it's, you know, there's a, a desire to be free of the past, yeah. you know, to get rid of the past, which is in some way holding, yeah. holding them back. I mean, it's very interesting when he goes to meet the minister in Versailles because the Versailles that you depict is empty. You know, there's, there's nobody really there. It's kind of a haunted house yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, I mean, Versailles was, was a, I think, an, I mean, you can still visit it t today, of course, but it's, I liked to imagine it as a, a vast theater uh, and in various bits of, the of this huge theater, things were going on. In lots of the rest of it, it was just kind of cats and, and, and um, people sort of napping un under, under sofas and, and, and the whole thing falling apart in some way. Um, and uh, and, and it, it's, it's an absurd, I mean, you know, it, it, is, it, is, a, it is, you know, the, the regime built its own kind of sort of uh, uh, icon and, 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 and it's, it was an, apparently an incredibly uncomfortable place to be. Um, you had the French court, you know, whereas in Britain, it was a place of country houses and, and, and the aristocracy were, were all in their big country houses and that's, but in, in, in France, it was very centralized and everybody mm. came to the court mm. and hung out rather miserably, I think in many cases, at the court, hoping, you know, the king's eye or the eye of some influential man or woman would fall upon them, and they might be raised out of their obscurity. Um, but it was, uh, I think for a lot of them, the, the revolution oh. was a relief. <laughs> it's a revolution over there. Um, I, want to ask about, I want to ask about Jean-Baptiste, um, because he's kind of, you know, he's doing his, he's doing, he's qualified as an engineer, and he's one of those obscure people who wishes to be lifted up to some kind of status. I mean, he's built what is more or less, you know, a small bridge, just like the equivalent of a duck house for a Tory MP. Yeah. You know, it's very, very, very <laughs> insubstantial. Um, and, and he goes to meet the minister, and, and he, you know, he goes to Versailles, and then he goes to Paris, and he's given this, this job, which he, which he approaches as a job, but which completely changes his life, doesn't it? Well, yeah, he's not a very confident young man. He he's comes from uh, a, a fairly well, peasant family, basically. Certainly, you know, you, a generation before, they're, they're, you know, proper peasants. And, and um, he's been educated out of, his, out of his class, in a sense. He's, um, uh, he's, a, he's quite a new thing. He's a kind of professional man. And, and um, he's youngish, um, and he's, he's taken on this job, which he's actually not quite sure he can do. He knows that if he gets it right, this could be uh, a wonderful thing for him. But the possibility of failure um, seems sort of you know, large and real. And, and, and he spends much of the book uh, you know, two steps away from the whole project uh, folding in a sort of, or, or, or turning into a kind of mini revolution of, of, of his own. So, yeah, I mean, I, I liked him. He's a man. He's a, he's an intelligent man. He's he's he's, uh, he's he's a little too serious, perhaps. Um, 
he's got ideas about himself. I tend to write about people who have ideas about themselves that are not able to survive experience, you know. And certainly the experience of uh, the cemetery of trying to do this awful job um, unpicks him. But let's, let's talk about how awful the job is because, I mean, he, he goes in there and there are pits filled with dead bodies and it's not that there's, at points, there's more bone than there is soil. There's more decayed flesh than, than there is any, anything else and it's, it's appalling. And to help him with the job, he hires the miners from mm. a place where, where he, miners ER, not OR, um, and um, from, 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 the, from, the place where, from the place where he worked before, um, and 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 they they are disgusted by this task, aren't they? They're you know they're disinteresting. Well, they 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 they're, they're great. The miners actually um, they they they're Flemish, most of them, and they they come from uh, a, a mine up in the north of France, where conditions. The reason he chose them is because the conditions where they used to work were equally awful in a way, and and um, and that these are men who wouldn't sort of Complain. Just run yeah. uh, the first uh, first day. So. They they uh, they are brought down um, to work in, uh, but he never really feels Jean Baptiste never really feels I mean rightly as it turned out that he has that much authority over these men, um, so they're a kind of little society unto themselves. They live in the cemetery. They have their little. Camp. He doesn't let them out, does he? He lets no, them out once a week. That's right. Well, he knows that either they'll run amok or the people of Paris will fleece them. Uh, um, so it's it's uh, they're kept. They kept in the in the cemetery, and they, are, they do get visitors occasionally. They get prostitutes yeah. to yeah. come and see them, um, which is a sort of small mercy. So I want to ask about Bar Barat and Lecour. Um, mm. So they, they, I mean, they're they're together on these long, lonely nights by the coal mines, and Lecour is quite interested. Did they have? They had some kind of thing, <laughs> did they? Some kind of thing. Well, because the doctor uh, says, "Have you stopped that vice?" And I thought, mm hmm. <laughs> No, that vice was, was, was a sort of, you know, utopianism rather than... Oh, <laughs> I'm so gutted. Um, I so wanted the vice to be them. Hey, you know, you, you, you pay for the book and, and <laughs> the vice is whatever you decided it is. Okay, um, fine. I'll and, run with and that it's, vice. Um, they, are, they are close. And yes, they are... Um, they were intimates. Um, but I, I don't think I ever intended that... Uh, it should be understood that there was anything hugely more than that. Newsflash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm not the only one. I've been on those message boards. So okay. I, want, I, I, want, I, want to, I want to just talk. One of the other characters, we'll come to questions in a second. One of the other characters who appears in there is Dr. Guillotine. Mm. And he's just kind of this jolly, lovely man. Um, and, I, you know, again, it's interesting with, you know, where you use historical figures and where you bring in real people. Um, what, Evan, what do we know about that man? Well, we know quite a lot, really. Um, he he was um, a man, I think, in, in his sort of 50s at the, at the time of the cemetery was disinterred. Um, I mean, he later played a part in, 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 in the revolution. He was in the, in the convention. He was a, a, a humane man. He didn't design the guillotine. He didn't... Uh, guillotine was in existence already. Uh, there were versions of it in this country. Uh, it had been for the Yorkshire Maiden, one of the names. Really? Of I don't know. Um, so it was... Uh, um, he's a, he's a, actually a, a rather nice man, but I like to have doctors, I always have doctors in the books, and, and they're always quite ambiguous figures. Um, like the doctor in your life? Like your dad? Like my dad. <laughs> yes, you knew that, huh? Good. Spanish research. Huh? Um, 
So, yeah, well, I mean, yes, my, my, my dear dad. <laughs> yeah, bless him. Uh, who was, yeah, well, we, like many people. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's move on. My ambiguous father. <laughs> No, but I think, I think, you know, the fact that your dad was a doctor and the fact that you grew up with all that, you, the, the medical detail that you describe in the book um, and, the, and the affection that you have for the, for, for the doctors, because they're not, they're not all that ambiguous, but it's, it's fascinating. And that's one of the things that I love. Believe it or not, I, you know, I, I grew up wanting to, to be a doctor and one of my favourite books was Grey's Anatomy and I absolutely, completely loved it. Um, and I love the medical detail in this book and it's something that you, you know, you return to. Well, 18th-century medicine is, is 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 you know rich pickings really because oh, yeah. it's you know on the one certainly by this point it's it's looking forward to all the kind of huge advances in the beginning of the 19th century, but also it's got one foot in something supernatural, magical. magical. Supernatural. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think that I think I think that that's completely fascinating. When they when they dig up the bodies in the graveyard who are perfectly preserved and begin mm -hmm. to speculate about about why they may be so is is, is completely fascinating. So um so you've you you've spread your kind of interest between that period and more recent times. Mm. What, what are you coming to next? Uh, well, you know, when I finished this book, um, I, I thought, uh, this is my, what is it, my sixth novel? Six, yes. Six, yeah. So I thought I'd, um, <laughs> I need you around more. <laughs> so, yeah. so I thought, you know, I just want to look up. I want to look up for a while and just, it's not a, you know, it's not a production line. I don't want to just, do another book because that's what I do. So um, I, and you need to just uh, stop sometimes and just be quiet and 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 think, what am I? You know, what holds me now? What what's what pulls at my imagination now? Because what I was interested in three years ago or ten years ago when I started writing, uh, which is many years ago, uh, you know, I I change and 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 as as do we all. So so it's. I've been in a kind of curious, uh, I mean, I wanted to tempt myself with the idea of actually just not writing anymore, just thinking, maybe I'll stop now. Maybe this what is would this you do be. instead? Well, that was, yeah, that was the, one of the problems. <laughs> you know, too old for the army and, and, and uh, uh, you know, around, around where I live, anybody didn't know what to do, they become a gardener. <laughs> just, uh, but there's a lot of gardeners, so as a result. Uh, uh, so, yes, I guess I will write again because I do actually love doing it and when I'm writing, I feel at my sanest in some way, and that's probably a good thing. Yeah. I'm sure it's a good thing for yeah. the people who are around you. Um, you did your, you did your, P did you do a PhD at Lancaster? Yeah, I did, yeah. Which is yeah. also where I did my undergraduate oh, degree, so you right, experienced right. that campus. Yes, yeah, it's hell, isn't it? Yeah. It's awful. <laughs> Architectural hideousness. Yeah. I understand, uh, and also, speaking of things in common, and you lived in Hove. Yes. So, and I wondered if you might kind of do some kind of Regency thing, if you might be inspired by, by that bit of things. No? Yes? Maybe? Well, you've got your little, little uh, divining rod out and that's, uh, that's very clever. Yeah, well, I mean, that's possibly... Uh, did you just guess that or did that? Like no, that? I just guessed that. I'm that good. That's good. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Karem? No, not Karem. <laughs> okay, no. <laughs> Mystic Meg yeah, is busy. Yeah, okay, yeah. you. That's, uh, <laughs> hello. Hello. Um, in the BBC interview mm. after you won the Costa, you said writing is not a competitive sport. Mm. So Sylvia's question, and it's an interview that you gave. Was that the BBC interview or the Channel Four interview? Okay, so it was an interview after you won the Costa. Your double win. 
um, um, where you said writing is not a competitive sport. Um, do, I mean, it is competitive, but it's not a sport. But you know, how, do, how do you deal with that? How do I deal with that? Well, as it is. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's, uh, do we compete? I don't want to feel that we, I mean, I, I like to feel that actually it's, uh, that it's a much more uh, sort of communal, communitarian kind of uh, act, and that we're, uh, there's room for however many good books, and, and if, if somehow to get my book published, I have to tread on the fingers or, 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 or the, the head of, of some other writer. That's somehow, and, it's, and, it, and I don't think that's, I've never had that feeling, and I, and I hope that's not what, I don't think that happens. Um, competitions, literary competitions, clearly are, are presented in exactly that way, as you said, you know, as, mm. as competitions, and there's a winner, and, and everybody else. So what happened Lots. when you went to Costa? How did you, I mean, so not, not like, how did you feel, but like uh, immediately afterwards, did you think, oh, I can relax, or oh, this is pressure? How did you, how did you feel that? I think immediately afterwards, I mean, how immediately? I mean, sort okay, of, uh, there's an hour, then there's a day, then there's 10 days. Yeah. You know, after the hangover, you know, when you realized you'd won, you know, because you described a state of grace previously, having won other prizes. Yeah, and sort of. well, that's, I think um, you, it's, it's, it's quite simply and straightforwardly a good thing. I mean, really. Of course uh, it is. To, 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 because it, uh, uh, everyone's going to let you do pretty much whatever you want for a while. Just for a while. Yeah, and, then, and that's, that's nice. So you, you feel, you shouldn't feel more confident because you won the thing. And yet, somehow, you do. And, and that's, uh, to write when you're feeling confident is, is good. Yeah. Uh, to write when you're feeling very anxious there's always some anxiety, but when you, if, if, that's the, if that's the dominant sort of uh, emotion, then it's, uh, it's pretty tortuous. I've got to ask you about your mm -hmm. accent, because it's all like different things. Yeah. What's going on? It's, yeah, it's, it's a mishmash, isn't it? It's a mishmash. I was born in Bristol, yeah, but it's, uh, it's not a Bristol accent. Um, and my I know father's Scots-Irish, uh, he's born in Belfast, and, and I, I've lived all over the place. And it's probably television, you know, it's, uh, it's it. I I, no, it's not a bad thing. I love yeah. it, but it's just, it is all over the place, Tom. Yeah. Tom was, Tom was asking, I mean, he was saying that he felt that when he finished the book, he felt he knew much more about the graveyard and the characters, slightly passive-aggressive. Um, but um, uh, he, he's, he's, he's wondering which of the characters you were most attracted to. Yeah, well, uh, clearly if you're on the, the dead ones, you know. But it, it's, uh, um, yeah, I mean, the cemetery clearly is the kind of theatre where everything takes place. It's where everybody meets up. It's where many of the sort of key events of the novel um, and I, sh I, for people who haven't read the novel, I don't want you to think it, it's kind of 250 pages of, of, of digging up dead bodies. Uh, there's other stuff. There's, there's a, other bits. Know, there's other stuff. Um, there's and, a love and, story. Uh, there's, there's, you know, there's little light moments. Um, <laughs> so uh, where they play football with a head. No, they. <laughs> 
Do you think? No, no, no. no but no, I think no, no. what I what I think yeah. it is though is that it's that lovely kind of yeah. it's that gallows humour. It's the it's the gothic <laughs> thing where they're all doing something that's so horrible they have to find something funny yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. I think is something the French have in common with the Scottish. So um, another uh, Silva, you've had a question already. I'll take one. I'll take one more question and then we're done. Nobody else has a question for Andrew. Oh, question at the back. Yeah. Yeah, we, 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 with the two novels, three, I guess, if you kind of count the Depression as a, as a revolution. But, you know, what, what, that, that period, um, what is it that, uh, that attracts you to it? And also, I would append that and say, do you think that we're about to have another one? How does, how does that feel? Definitely. Um, and uh, writing about... Um, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say on that. But writing about the, uh, those, the moment before, the moment before things kick off... Um, Clearly, you know, you anticipate that your readers will, will, uh, will know there was a revolution. Um, and, um, and so I guess there's an interesting thing about to what extent any of us get it right about what's, what's coming, you know? And, and I mean, think about the 1930s or something, you know, how many people saw what was going on in, in, in Germany as, as leading to, to another and how many people just thought, well, it's just a bit of a bumpy passage. Um, so I was interested, I suppose, in, 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 in this book, there, there are characters who, uh, who do seem to see uh, what's, what's approaching, and others who, and, and possibly these are the majority, who uh, simply imagine the now is gonna, is, it's gonna, just gonna keep unraveling, it just in much of the same way. And, um, so I don't know. I mean, I think it, it's it's clearly that you know you you there's a certain amount of borrowed um, you know you borrow sort of energy from from a major historical event. You know, you set a book in you know the summer of 1913 or something or, or whenever. You know, the, the, this thing hangs over, and um, I hope I haven't a sort of. I mean. It, could just be a kind of cheap trick. That's a cheap novelistic trick. It's not a cheap <laughs> novelistic trick. It's, uh, mm -hmm. um, it's a period that uh, that is just uh, to write about. It, it, it's 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 a huge pleasure. I would have liked to have continued actually into into the revolution, and in a first draft, uh, I did carry on into the revolution, and and in subsequent drafts, that just that you know it's on the on the cutting room floor, but. Um, uh, so yes, the, the, the eve of you know the eve of of, of the great event is is an, uh, is an interesting time to uh, to set a book. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we are on the eve of a revolution. We are the people who are going to come out on top. Thank all of our guests this evening. Thank you, Tom Bulu. Thank you, Valeria Lucelli and Christina McSweeney. Thank you, Andrew Miller. Thank you, all of you. We will be back on Tuesday, June the twenty sixth. I'll see you then. Thank you. Yeah.